Welcome to The Last Supper, a weekly podcast featuring emerging and established artists, gallerists, curators and collectors in Asia. Hello, I'm your host Oscar Venhuis and in this episode of The Last Supper, I sat down with Winston Wong in Hong Kong. We talked about what he meant by textures and layering in a video work, what he finds so fascinating about imperfections, and we delved into a family's project, Lorna's Party, with a mother and family from the Philippines. Learn more about art in Asia with Christie's Education in-person and virtual art courses, gallery visits and webinars. Visit Christie's Education website and enter all in capital letters Last Supper 15 to enjoy a 15% discount. The website link and discount code for Christie's Education can also be found in the description of this podcast. Hello Winsome, thanks for opening your studio today and how are you? Good, I'm pretty tired. Oh no, hopefully you have just enough energy to do this podcast and the space we're in is also known as the Floating Project Collective, which is a kind of mixed or multi-purpose space that functions as a studio gallery and a coffee corner with a kitchen. Describe to me where we are. Uh, we're at a space called Floating Projects. So it's a space by collective. And then there are like members from university graduates and university faculties and also other artist members. And then in this space, sometimes we would hold events or exhibitions. And we have also books here to be sold. And there are a library here. So when people visit here, they could also have coffee and then read books and also have their conversations here. So it's like a space for a lot of happenings to happen. Excellent, because behind me, I do see a mini library with a collection of catalogs, brochures and art books. Yeah, like uh, we also like have a mindset of like opening up the space to people. So I thought that if there is a kitchen here and there are drinks and food, like it would be a more friendly space for people to come and drop by without having to do things in purpose, but they can just like exchange ideas and have conversations here, yeah. Now, let's talk about you, Winsome. How would you describe who Winsome is? Uh, I'm Winsome, and then I usually work on video and also images. And for video, usually I work on the texture and the layering of it and to explore the possibility of the language of video itself. And also on images these days, I'm also working with how I mix the image and texture and material together to make image a thing that could be felt and touched with more texture and a more like dimensional way of feeling an image. And also my works are usually related to my own mobility. So like uh, sometimes it's related to where I have been to, like in some Southeast Asia places like Cambodia or Philippines. Yeah, and to me, it's a very important way for me to understand my daily life through the way, like through the process of editing and also collecting the sources of the materials. You talked about textures and layering of videos. What do you mean by this? And can you describe what you are referring to when you speak about video textures? Imagine like maybe when we like nowadays the camera, like it's very clear for us. But for me, when I see very clear images, sometimes I don't think that really shoots what I'm feeling inside. 
So sometimes it's like about the color, and maybe also when an image, like uh, usually like when we have a single moment of image, it only represents a certain moment in that memory, but that memory is actually very long, and it includes very a lot of other moments as well, and or ma- many other correlations in your mind. So for me, the texture of it is like. How a single image doesn't like a single frame of a video doesn't only mean one image, but it could represent a lot of stuff. So, like in an image, you would feel the depth in it, and it's like you could explore a lot within that single frame. So, what I understand is that when you have a single frame or still image, when we look at this frame, we can have multiple memories associated with it. This is what you refer to as the textures and layers, and the textures and layers combined is the language. Is that a fair description of what you are talking about? Yeah, it's like you have layers and texture, and sometimes for me it's also like a painting. Like it's not just a smooth or direct image from the camera, but how do I feel about that moment? Is it like a smooth one? A blurry one, or a complicate, or a mixed texture with complicated layers, or glitch, or defects in it. For me, it's very normal for videos to have defects because uh, we don't usually have a very good equipment on our hand. Like even for with our phone, uh, when if we try to zoom in in like a single frame, there would be in inevitably you would see a lot of defect inside it, but. Uh, some people would want to hide it and think it's like imperfection, but for me, I think it's the part of how we see things because it's not always that perfect, and it's impossible for us to know every information and get everything. So for me, like uh, the part of the defect or scratches within an image is a very normal thing, and I feel more comfortable when they exist to me. And what can you tell me about the mediums and materials that you use? Is that primarily film or with digital images as well? Yeah, for photography, sometimes I work with film as well. But for videography, usually I work with digital media. But for me, I think the most important is like the tool to me is like some very handy tools. Like usually I'm with it. Whenever I go, I don't have to bring a specific equipment with me. It's just beside me, and then. Yeah, before like even for digital tools, you could see a lot of defect inside it as well. For example, the exposure, uh, the the pixels in it when you zoom in, they're all part of the defects that's showing a very like not non-smooth image. So I think um, these defects are like the grains of a film as well. Like when you zoom in, you see grains in the film. And when you zoom in in digital medium, you see pixels and yeah other defects. So yeah, I think although this seems to be one is analog and one is digital, but for me when it comes to my computer, I feel the same when I'm like touching this medium. I have a small favor to ask that will make a big impact. The Last Supper is offered to you at zero cost. And if you like the show about art in Asia, show your support by giving us a star rating and subscribing to this podcast. Many thanks and let's continue. 
Earlier you mentioned that the defects or imperfections is how we see things because it is impossible to see the world as perfect. Do you mind to elaborate on that? I think it's also about the way how I recall memory. Because when at first when I'm starting to do videos, they're about the, my memories and my imaginations within my brain. And then, okay, and then when this imagination or images came from a camera to the computer, and then you will start to feel like, oh, it, it doesn't feel the same. Although it's like the exact image in front of you. But when that same image has gone through your brain or memory and every stuff, and then it like turns out to be on a computer monitor, it just feels like something is lacking. Like something is too clear because like in my memory, although I remember a certain event, it's it's kind of blurred already or it turns into a concept. So actually something is inevitably gone already. So when I'm dealing with these images in front of the computer, in front of the monitor, I'm just thinking how to feel like more closer to these events. Because when it's too clear, in the opposite way, I don't feel like it's the clearest or the nearest to me. So, and I'm also thinking that maybe these memories or moments, they contain certain mood or emotions within it, especially when I'm doing more uh, personal works. So, yeah, so I feel like these textures would uh, match with what I'm feeling within me more than just a very clear images. And also, it, um, I think the defects of an image would also show very clearly what kind of tools you are using. And I think a tool of capturing image is also kind of important to us. The importance is not how good the tool is. It's, it's like the tool is also a like cultural, uh, like it suggests some cultural backgrounds of our, of uh, like of the, it should like, how should I say? It? it do suggest some cultural background of us when we are like taking a video. For example, uh, many years ago I was in Cambodia, and then I used to like volunteer there and teach some students. And at that time, they do not have a lot of cameras with them, or they do not have smartphones with them. So, a single camera is already very rare for like very rare tool for them, and they would be happy to use a camera. So I bought some toy cameras for the kids to capture their own daily lives instead of me as a foreigner to just capture their daily life. And then so the toys, like the, the texture of the images would, it, like, inevitably there would be like bore or more glitch or like pixelated images because it's a, just a toy camera. And then it's because it's a very handy tool, so you can feel that the kids are using it in a very playful way and a free way without much worry of like breaking the camera. And they could bring the camera into the water and then they could bring some animated effect into the camera with the camera's functions. So all these functions or um, characters from a camera would be shown in the video. And the feeling of seeing this video for the audience to me, I think it would be closer than seeing a very clear documentary type of video. It's really fascinating that on the one hand, the definition in technology is becoming better and higher, while on the other hand, you seem to embrace the deficiencies and aberrations of the medium that you use. 
What attracts you to this? Because for vinyl, analog cassette tapes and recording seems to make a real comeback. So do you know when this appreciation for these apparent imperfections began? I think when I was like, when I first get related to video, I think it was like when I was in secondary three. And then at that time we were like only holding DV cameras because our school studio is a very small studio with only a few members. And then we're holding like small DV cameras. And then uh, even I have a better camera, when we take the images, it wouldn't be as good as the schools with very good equipment. So we can only make use of our own imaginations to make a video more interesting or special by coloring the video, adding layers and doing more effects on a video, like treating it like a painting or more, um, yeah, more of a, uh, we have to add more imagination into a single image by that time. So I think I, that training had given me a, like, a feeling that it becomes my root. So afterwards, although like I'm working more on other videos, maybe experimental videos or other type of videos, I can still like I still love that kind of texture or that memory of like doing everything with a very raw uh, equipment. But you can still do it, do it. So yeah, I think one of that one of my practice would be linked to the beginning that I'm just very using very handy tools and very uh, non-professional tools. It makes me like, so when I'm having this equipment, it's just very nature natural that there will be some kind of defects in the image itself. And also after like, I think it gradually develops, like how do I think about memory and how I represent memory in my videography. So it becomes more like in-depth exploration of how an image or a feeling or texture of a video or image could be. You did a project in Cambodia with a group of students. How did this project start? And can you speak more about the background of this project? Yeah, um, it was when I was in university, like year one starting from year one so we went to cambodia for a few weeks to just teach english but we also got a like free time or more possibility to explore our own ways to communicate or engage in the community with the students in our own ways so at that time i was just thinking that we had because we got a like one hour lunch time. So I started to think that maybe I could go to the students home as home visit to just know about them or maybe document something. So since that year lunchtime, I would like hang around with the kids in the community with our just sleepers and you know, just go around and get dirty with our feet and then just go to their home and explore things. And then Afterwards, the next year I came back to the same school and I think of like, maybe there could be other ways to document the, the student's life also. And also give them a chance to uh, express themselves through photography or recording their own lives because they do like to play with our cameras, the cameras or phones of volunteers and they like being taken photo of at that time. So, I just landed these cameras for the kids to 
like take I let them take turn to borrow the cameras and then they would take videos of their home and take photos in their school or home. I think the interesting thing is that we didn't really properly teach them how to do a composition of photo and what are the aesthetics of photography. We didn't teach them at all. But from the images of the kids, you could see their very unique point of views and their unique aesthetics. And then, yeah, some students really got very outstanding composition without being taught. It's just a very natural instinct from them. Yeah, so I carried this project project for two years to gather the images they gave me instead of me as a foreigner and as a volunteer that's trying to capture their life. And I worried that I would capture their life in an exotic way. And some reality of them could be quite depressing, of course, or sad. But I I just don't think that it's good to just show this side of them because at the same time, I feel like for the children, it's a very it's where they were born, and then they're strong enough to get used to it or overcome the things in their own way, and then they have their own pace of overcoming things. So I think uh, it would be more comfortable for me to gather and study these materials and learn from them instead of me as a observator or like doing artworks to represent them. This project lasted for two years. So what did you do with all the materials and information you collected over the course of those two years? Uh, I edited the videos into one short video at that time. Yeah, as a, It's actually part of an assignment I submitted because I think at that time only assignments would force me to try to conclude something. And of course, uh, after a few years, I think I went back for five years in Cambodia for five times. And afterwards, the school closed down and COVID came and then I didn't go back. Of course, I lost contact with a lot of students because we don't usually have their contact and we would only just directly go to their home and find them or visit them or see them at school. On Facebook, I do like found some students and we keep in touch and some of them are already more than 20 years old and they would be very happy to show me the pictures we had before and I also showed them this video and of course we have some kind of language barrier so I never know how do they really think or can they relate to it or do they feel it too abstract for them I never know about it but for me I don't feel like this project is very complete to me yet because I only gathered some videos from the kids but I never could be able to present the video to the kids because it's actually taken by them. I never could present the whole product to them and know how they feel about it. I feel like a memory keeper. Like I gather these memories from the kids and then they might have forgotten about it. And I'm the one who's like holding these memories and how do I deal with it? And gradually I just feel like maybe it's a process for me to learn through this like whole process of gathering stuff like how do I deal with other people's memory and how should I treat my own position in this kind of projects yeah it's also like a starting point for me to think of video not just a tool of just expressing my own experience but how could I act as a medium to 
like I'm like a center or a medium. Like I gather resources from other people, and I try to present their lives through their own gathered sources, instead of me taking videos from my perspective to like capture their life. And of course, I think inevitably I would have my own perspective when I'm doing editing. But it's an exploration of how between me and other and others can contribute in my videos as well. Instead of I'm instead of just a one-sided video production. And what can you say about materials that you receive from the kids? Mm, the first thing that uh, really amazed me is the visuals taken by the kids. Because it's a toy camera, so some color would kind of be exaggerated. So I think if one student would have taken an image at a school, and then it's like at a maybe noon time, but the image is really like yellowish and orange, and it feels very warm. And there's certain kind of aesthetics in it, and together with the composition and the clothes of the kids, I just feel like all oh, these students really take very good images without people teaching and I feel like the ability of taking images and instinct from people for me at that time. I think there's a student who couldn't speak. Yeah, she got some disability and then some students would help her translate her stuff to us at school sometimes. And she didn't like we don't have much communication with her because she's a very shy person. But uh, the images she turned back are some very abstract images. Like it's the shape and forms of the buildings of where she lives in. And then there are some effects to abstract the images. I was just amazed by the talent because I didn't expect students to capture very abstract images with their aesthetics. There's another project that I'd like to address, and that project is called Lorna's Party, which was a very personal work. Can you speak more about this project? It's uh, my solo last year. It's called Lorna's Party. Uh, Lorna's Party is about my mom's life and her community, both in Hong Kong and in the Philippines. Because in Hong Kong, she has a salon and then there are always Filipinas there and gather. And in the Philippines, uh, she has seldom goes back because she got busy this year and because of COVID. But in 2019, I did went back to Philippines with her once. And before that, actually, I didn't go back for nine or ten years already. And also after 2019, I guess, I started to go to more go more to her salon and I get close to the people and I observe her community. So that project was about her community in both sides and also especially my family in the Philippines. When you talk about salon, what type of salon are you referring to? It's a hair salon where Filipinas would go there to have their hair cut. What was it like to go back to the Philippines after so many years? I actually went back to Philippines again this year with her all of a sudden. But then I realized that that experience going back to Philippines in 2019 would be very difficult for me at first because I wasn't there for more than like for 10 years. So I have to get used to people and I would be afraid would I be accepted when I go back because 
when you go through puberty and go through your university life, you have changed a lot and you're no longer the person in the memory, I think. So I was worried, like, how do I get along with people and I'm not good at, at Tagalog? Yeah, how do I stay there? And I also, I'm not used to a place with a lot of people and my whole big family is inside a house. So it's always people around. So I was worried about that. Yeah, but luckily that time I, I brought my camera and DV with me. So I think it actually protects me from the awkwardness, from having to get used to getting along with people and my family there. So that's why I realized that most of the time I was actually just holding a DV camera and taking pictures because I may not know how to directly communicate or talk with them or I feel shy or need time to warm up within the duration of only a few days only. So that's why I take a lot of videos as a tool for me to get used to environment or as a means to get closer with people also. Were your family members okay with you walking around with a camera continuously? Because I can imagine this could be quite intrusive. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite lucky that my family are okay with it. And maybe because my mom would also tell them, okay, Winsome is taking video, just, yeah, just chill. And I think they're kind of supportive to me, so they're okay with it. And also most of the time, I wouldn't like point a camera to people since it's a DV camera, so... I'm always sitting aside and then just taking the videos so that, yeah, I don't feel awkward doing nothing there, yeah. Let's talk more about your working approach. I have the impression that you're quite comfortable with working without a roadmap or plan in mind. The work seems to emerge from the material you have instead of having a predetermined concept in mind. Then you find the materials. So what else can you say about how you work? Yeah, usually I, when I take videos, I just take the videos. I just try to record the moment without thinking much about what it could turn into in the future. For me, usually video is being with me at the moment instead of very good planning. So I'm curious, what was the response of your mother when she saw what you did with the recordings? Actually, the all the works turn into an exhibition. So I was also thinking about who is this exhibition for? Because when it's an exhibition, it's not only to your parents, to your family, it's to the public, right? So, and there are a lot of people in the public, like who is it to? Who is the target of my language? Yeah, for this kind of topic, you could actually turn it into a more academic way or a more intellectual way to talk about this. But in the end, I was thinking that, okay, I want an exhibition that would feel good to my mom. Like when she and her friends come, they would feel happy with it or they would feel comfortable with it. So I tried to make things more direct to them without a lot of analysis. I don't want them to see it's hard for them to understand or too much abstract ideas for them to understand or academic wordings for them. I want them to feel like it's their daily lives. And I also hold some activities like karaoke with her and her friends and to invite my Hong Kong friends to sing karaoke with she and her friends. And I feel like I'm very glad that they feel comfortable with it. And 
there are moments that like some people they come they would try to like what do I get out of these images without a very concrete conclusion. But for me, when I see when we are singing karaoke, I see her friends just sitting aside and looking at the images without asking a lot of things, and I feel like I'm very glad that they're okay with this kind of language because. Maybe it's because they are related to the images itself, to the videos. So for them, it's just very direct. It's just seeing their people they know or they do not know doing something in a screen. Just seeing their being, their existence. Yeah. So I'm glad that they're comfortable with or very happy with the experience. The previous time you were in the Philippines, it took some time to adapt to the environment. This year, you went back again to the Philippines. How was your experience this time going back? I feel like it's a, yeah, very interesting feeling. I went back in 2019, and then there are a few years like there are a lot of happenings in Hong Kong that I almost forgot about that experience in Philippines. Although they gave me a lot of good memories, I almost forgot about it. So when I have to finally do the exhibition in last year. It's like I'm digging out my memories, and then I face these memories and videos for a few months, or more than that, half a year, and then now I'm back to Philippines again. And to them, they actually like they're away from that memory for three years already. But for me, it's just very fresh to me because it's like I dig out these memories and I revise them, and then I. I edited them; they become a show. So to me, all the memories about them are very sh- fresh. So it's like I'm very familiar with them. Yeah. So this year, when I when I went back, it feels like I can get very direct on the point to communicate with them and feel familiar with them. And although some kids they have grown up, they have forgotten about me because they were too young at that time. But I still feel like for me, it's easier to get closer with them. And for me, it's also easier to open up myself to them. And I think this time we had a very cool and chill time in a, within a short period of time. And also, I don't feel like I want to record a lot of stuff this time. I'm a bit surprised a bit that because I would like, okay, why don't we just drink happily instead of documenting things? And anyway, there are other people who are taking videos. I don't have to do that. After going this time, I feel like maybe in 2019, probably I was really trying so hard to get used to the environment at that time. That's why I'm taking a lot of videos, and everything is very new to me at that time. So that's why I'm taking a lot of videos and images. But I feel like this time I want to spend the time more with them without taking too much. <laughs> Lorna's party, the project that we discussed, is that an ongoing project, or did that finish when you had your exhibition? I didn't think too much will it be ongoing, but I think when I feel like it's the right timing, I would just do some recording of the moment. I feel like it could be a very very long term project that I could not foresee what the outcome could be. I think it's it opened up a new dimension for me too. Like understand about my route and the flow of my route, because after two thousand and nineteen, I think a lot of people are thinking about like going somewhere else, and a lot of my friends have migrated to other places already. Then I start to understand more about my mom's feeling at that time, 
like how she has left her home country and went to a foreign country and decided to stay there. And also some of our relatives or my cousins who have worked as domestic helper here in Hong Kong before, they also have moved to some other places already. So the people in Philippines actually have migrated to different places around the world. So I feel a closer connection or a better imagination of that feeling after experiencing things happening in Hong Kong in these few years. And in Hong Kong, I would also met other Filipinas who's actually just treating Hong Kong as a, as a point, and then they're just going to go to other places afterwards. And some of them, I've met a girl who's actually younger than me. She feels like, okay, through working in other places, even though she m- might be working as a domestic helper or a caretaker in other countries, it's a way for her to support her family and also to explore the world. So it feels like I can understand this feeling a little bit more and I want to know about it. I want to know about the flow of people around the world, especially from the people from Southeast Asia because part of me is from there also. So I don't know what could I get from this curiosity, but I just feel like it's one of my interests these days. And this point, the exhibition about my mom is just a starting point to explore the whole community and explore my roots and the flow of people. What did you learn from Lorna's party project? Because it was a very personal project that you worked on. Um, I think maybe before I go back to Philippines, I didn't think much of an identity issue because I grew up with a lot of local Hong Kong people and I look like a Hong Konger most of the time, I think. Yeah, so <laughs> I didn't feel too much of a struggle about it, of my identity. I just feel like, okay, I'm a Hong Konger, but I'm like my mom is a Filipina, but I grew up in Hong Kong. People would ask me things about the Philippines, but actually I don't know much about it. The only thing that I know would be my mom's community and the people around her. So. The only thing that I can know much in Hong Kong is about her community, but it's not a general issue about Philippines. It's about her specific community group in Hong Kong. And there are also a lot of community groups of Philippines in Hong Kong. So I only know a particular group. But after my show last year, there are some Filipinas who came here who also worked as domestic helper. And then there may be the second generation of Filipino here in Hong Kong whom I met from the show also. And I feel like I get curious of where they're from because they mention different places in Philippines. So I feel like uh, maybe it's a starting point for me to go to these places first and to just know about a place. It's not about a purpose or what outcome it should be. It's just my curiosity to know about the place where I partly belong to. And um, I think also it's a mixed factor from what's happening in Hong Kong and what I absorb from my mom and her community. Because afterwards, what's happening in Hong Kong, I think it's a more like, there's a more urgent force for us to think about where we should go or how we should treat our own identity. It's not too important about like how we define ourselves or where we're from because I think like there's always mobility of people, but it's undeniable that 
we have some kind of feeling or linkage to this place. If we are like migrating to other places, it's a very painful thing also to cut something from you apart because you can't stop the fact that you would have to put something aside and then you have to focus on your life in another place. Yeah, so I'm just imagining about this or maybe I'm also thinking about this question myself. And even now, I'm still thinking about it, the pain of leaving a place and then you feel like a certain root is rooted here. But there's also another urge for you to explore the bigger world because Hong Kong is just a really very small place and you can't feel the geographical diversity within Hong Kong. It's more difficult to feel it. I'm also imagining like how people feel when they're leaving a certain place. So one of the points I can learn from this is from my mom's community and her experience. You created a feature-length film as well, so let's talk about that. What is the title and what is this film about? It's a feature-length film and it, it was actually a film I took when I was in final year in university where I think it's the only chance I got to like, utilize a lot of manpower to work with me on a film. Uh, the project is called Between a Gleams and a Blink. So it's a feature-length film and then uh, I have a basic storyline and I have actors acting in it. But in terms of production, I decided not to have very confirmed storyboard. We don't plan for camera angles. So at, when we do the shooting, we would have DV cameras and a more like better cinematic camera. And then so the perception of a single event would be more fluid. So it's about a certain beginning of a failed event in Hong Kong and then afterwards just a daily life of two people in Hong Kong and then that just ended that way. But uh, to me, I feel like this film has recorded like a certain life for, of my early 20s, which has gone already. And things in Hong Kong changed too dramatically, so something is very hard to be returned anymore. And I think that film also, I edited that film for almost five years together with the sound mix and stuff like that. But it's also very important for me to explore how cinematic language or, or what a film could be in my own mindset. You said there was no predetermined script or narrative. So how did you produce and create? And what can you say about the making of the film? At that time, I think, First, I think in 2015, I went to Finland for exchange. And then at that time, I started writing about the basic story of the whole thing. And when I came back to Hong Kong, I don't know why my sensitivity got a lot higher. I got very sensitive to what's happening around me, to the flow of people and just the movement itself. I became very sensitive to it. So I wrote a lot of diary at that time. So I want to turn this kind of scattered scenes of my daily life into a film. And of course, I like added some other elements into it or fictional elements into it as well. But uh, for this film, I think I set a very basic scenes. Like I have maybe 24 scenes. I set these basic scenes. I'm not going to cut them out. And then I set a basic structure of what's going to happen in this scene. And then by that time, I just let things improvise and let things happen. For example, there's a scene about a guy seeing a dead cat on the road. 
it really happened to me before. So I saw a dead cat, and I have to like think of how to deal with the body of the cat at that time. So I turned it into a part of the scene of the film, and then at that time I just asked the actor to stand there, and then we have a cat that's a props. That's not true, and then we just let people go by, and then we act that scene out. But I think until like the second and the third, maybe the first third action, there's a girl who really passed by and asked the boy if it's a cat, and then she really asked about like how to deal with it and things like that. So for me, this kind of mixed between improvisation, between real life and fiction, always brought me some new insight in how to see things. We have arrived at the last question of this podcast. So my final question to you is, Winsome, if you were to have your last supper, who would you invite and why? Wow. It's very diff- yeah. I think it's very direct. I would just invite my family, to, especially my mom. I guess yeah, because I think when it's the last supper, you probably you can only like uh, limit the scope that's most closely related to you and most important to you. Yeah, to not think too much. I think it's my family. I hope my mom could cook for that. I would miss her food. Yeah, her food is yeah always the best. Many thanks, Vincent, for inviting me to your studio and all the best with your upcoming projects. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Last Supper with Hong Kong-based artist Vincent Wong. If you like this show about art in Asia, show your support by giving us a star rating and subscribing to this podcast. Don't forget to follow us on our Instagram at thelastsupper.asia. And of course, I welcome questions, suggestions and new subjects about art in Asia. Simply send me a direct message on thelastsupper.asia Instagram account. If you don't have pen and paper handy, more information can be found in this podcast description. And finally, The Last Supper podcast supports the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, a member-based non-profit organization of established local and international art galleries in Hong Kong.